All right, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, God's Word says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Again, we're looking at four uh, core values as a church. We began uh, early in January uh, preaching on how we are a gospel-centered church. Uh, Before our one-week hiatus uh, to focus on the sanctity of life, uh, we searched God's Word to see how we are spirit-empowered. And now we look at the local church, how we are a member-driven church, a church a joined-together people of God. So we are member-driven. This is kind of our our big idea for this morning. Member-driven, what does that mean? Uh, Member-driven is this. Uh, The reconciliation of individuals to Jesus is then given expression in the collective group of Christians known as the church. North Bullet Christian Church is a local expression of the body of Christ. That is what we believe. Uh, People... A personally committed to the Lord Jesus come together then to express their faith. Uh, a few weeks back, I believe it was in the gospel-centered uh, sermon, we learned that the Christian faith is both personal and communal. We receive Jesus personally, but that's made known through our involvement in the local church, being involved with and joined to uh, the church. The church is obviously, as a pastor, very personal to me. Uh, And if you call yourself a Christian, it should be to you also. The church is the place where I first made public my decision to follow Jesus. This was celebrated as I was baptized. The church did this. They looked on and and they cheered in excitement. The church is is the place of consistency in my life. It's where other Christians made Jesus known to me by loving me, guiding me, and serving alongside me. The church was present when my wife Karen and I made our vows before God to love and serve each other till death do us part. The church was there administered to my wife and I as we laid my mother to rest 14 years ago, and then laid my father-in-law to rest 13 years ago. The church is where my spiritual gifts are honed to serve and love others, where also my flaws are brought to light, but are not heaped on me as burdens, but lovingly and patiently corrected. Now the question, are there flaws in the church? Yeah, absolutely. Fallen people, serving and loving fallen people. People uh, will also involve hurt and betrayal. 
Maybe you felt that. Have you been betrayed in the church before? Have you been hurt by the church before? But the beauty of the church is, is that God works through our fallenness, our sin, our shortcomings, bringing about his ultimate good. The gospel transformed my heart, and the church has changed my life. This message is very personal to me. Uh, We believe as a church, this is drawn straight from our doctrinal statement, we believe uh, the church is this, is, is all those who experience union with Christ through salvation are united with his body, the church. The Bible instructs in this manner, believers to to gather together in devotion to fellowship, worship, prayer, teaching of the word, observance of the ordinances, so that is communion and baptism, service to the body, and outreach to the world. Wherever Christians meet regularly in obedience to this command, there is the local expression of the church. It says, under the watch, care, and guidance of elders and other supportive leadership, its members are to work together in love and unity to extend the kingdom of God on earth. Notice this statement says nothing of a sacred building. But rather, I believe that the Spirit of God is, is present in a, in a special and unique way when Christians gather together for the purpose of worship, instruction under the Word, and observance of the ordinances. Uh, pastor Mark Dever, I love Mark Dever and his writings. I listen often to his sermons. He's pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., a very difficult place to minister in. He says this simply, being a Christian means being joined to a church. Being a Christian means being joined to a church. It is that important. We cannot, family, practice our faith alone apart from each other. For extended periods of time, we have to gather and come together in fellowship. And so now we examine, this this is an amazing portion of Scripture. All of Scripture is amazing, but there's ones that are just really just tug at your heart. This is one of those. Uh, The the focus of my teaching this morning is going to be on the last few verses, but we can't get to those without talking about the first set of verses first. And so we begin... There, the central character of Scripture is none other than Jesus Christ. It all points to Him. And so we're going to look first to what has been achieved. That's our question. What has been achieved? The author of Hebrews tells us this in the first part of this passage. Uh, The first thing, there's two things we're going to look at. The first thing that's been achieved is that we have confident access. We have confident access. Uh, Verses 19 and 20 say this, therefore, brothers, hear this, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. We notice uh, in this passage a a therefore, right? Uh, The author of Hebrews is summing up the teaching from the previous section. If we were going through Hebrews from start to finish, we would kind of see those natural changes in tone throughout uh, this book. This section that we're drawing from actually bookends from chapter 4. If you're familiar with with, uh, Hebrews, chapter 4 has a similar saying as this passage has here. They kind of mirror each other in a sense. Again, they're bookends. The author summarizes the gospel here. 
There's a new and living way to relationship with God is what he's proclaiming. We've talked at length, if you go back and listen to our sermon series in December, our Christmas series, we talked at length in that about about the tearing of, of the temple curtain or the veil upon the death of Jesus on the cross. Just to give you a quick summary, in the temple in Jerusalem, the, there was parts of the temple, and two of the main parts are the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, and between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, there was a curtain that separated them. The Bible teaches us that that's where, where the presence of God was. And access to this area before Jesus was only available once a year by the high priest with the sacrifice of a perfect, unblemished animal. But, the Bible teaches us this, when when Jesus gave himself up, it calls him this. It calls Jesus a once and for all sacrifice. The Bible teaches us that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Okay, that's significant. Because there wasn't just some guy that snuck into the temple with scissors and cut it from the bottom to the top, but from top to bottom, only God could do that. The the curtain was torn. And this, this showed us that access is now granted to God the Father through Jesus, through the sacrifice of Christ. Moreover, that not only access in, but, but the gospel age burst forth upon this. That is, God's glory and presence is bursting forth now through His people. Because His people have been filled with God's Holy Spirit. We learned about that a few weeks ago, that we're spirit-empowered. So now, God's glory is bursting forth through His people expressed in the local church. It isn't confined to one place. You see, family, apart from the indwelling of the, of the Holy Spirit and, and reconciliation found through faith in the gospel, we would cry out these words, Woe is me! When truly confronted by the majesty, glory, and holiness of God. If we truly saw God stripped bare apart from the righteousness of Jesus, if we were in his presence, we wouldn't survive, for one. But if we could, we would say, woe is me. But through Jesus, his word teaches us this, that we confidently approach his throne of grace. That is good news. And it's through the work of Jesus alone. I bring nothing to the table. It's only through his righteousness. So we have confident access. We have another thing. Number two. We have simply put, we have Jesus. We have Jesus. I feel like we don't grasp this at times. We have Jesus as our treasure. I love the the parable in Matthew. It talks about the treasure hidden in the field that the man found. What does it say? He sold everything to acquire that field and get that treasure. Jesus is our treasure. We are, as followers of Jesus, we are under his rule and in his kingdom. Here's good news. And we can't be ripped away out of it. Secure in Christ. 
Verse 21 says this, And since, hear this, we have, since we have a great priest over the house of God, we have Jesus. We have a, a great priest back in, in Hebrews 4, 14. He's referred to there as the great high priest. He's done this for us in his priestly ministry. He has purified us with his shed blood covering our sin. And, and Paul outlines this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, giving us his righteousness. And we get to call Jesus our brother. We have a friend who, who will never leave us nor forsake us, who forgives us, who loves us, and in, who is representing us right now in this moment before the throne of God. Pastor Richard Phillips says, says it this way. He says, he is there as our priest representing us and pleading, I love this word, effectually for our acceptance, securing and sending us the Holy Spirit so that we are fitted and empowered to be worshipers and priests before his throne. That's the work of Christ. We have Jesus. So then, what do we do? So we flow from the work of Christ now to how does this affect the way that I live? So point number three, so then, right? There's going to be three uh, lettuces, if that's a word, in Hebrews. It's going to say let us three times. So, so what do we do? Flowing from the work of, of Jesus to us, the author of Hebrews gives us further insight into the day-to-day of our faith. Okay, I, I want to make a clear distinction. This isn't, the, the Christian life just isn't about getting saved and going to heaven. It isn't just fire insurance against hell. It's a way of life. We are transformed by the gospel. We're changed. It's about a relationship with our living Savior. And it's about a relationship with each other. Our relationship with Jesus is made known by being joined with the local church. We're called a body. The body of Christ. The author says, let us. Okay, he, didn't, he didn't say, let me or let you. He said what? Let us. Okay, last time I checked, us is more than one. Plural. A group. He's speaking to a collective, a gathering of people, a group. These, these New Testament epistles, is what we call them, are letters to actual churches, to the people of God. Inspired by the Spirit. So that every word is as it's intended by God. So again, three of these. The first one, let us draw near. Let us draw near. We see this concept of faith in this section. The Bible says, let us draw near. Isn't that amazing? Like, don't stand in a distance and gaze, and gaze at, at God. Come to me. The author talks about faith in this section. 
because of assurance and, and the washing of our guilt away by the sacrifice of Jesus. It, meaning he paid for your sin. That's why we begin with the gospel. He paid for your trauma. He paid for your guilt. It's gone. So the Bible says, let us draw near to him. Let's look at verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. I love that statement. A true heart in full assurance. The author's saying, with complete certainty right there. Complete certainty of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Why does he start with the work of Christ? So that he can make a statement like that. That you've been cleansed by Jesus. You've been sprinkled clean. I love in this passage too the word, that word assurance. Okay, what does that mean? We don't have to doubt it. Assurance is this, it's, it's the declaration of confidence in a promise. It's knowing for certain. It's saying, I know this to be true. It's the truth. What do we know to be true? The Bible tells us. We know this to be true, that Jesus died according to the Scriptures that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he raised in accordance with the scriptures, and also that he appeared to many witnesses. Jesus is alive. It's confirmed in his word, and we can have confidence in this because there were many witnesses that saw the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus raised from the dead. We've been washed clean in His righteousness so we can flee from the hurt and pain that life brings our way. Life is tough sometimes, isn't it? I love uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I have a quote from him. He sums it up this way. He says, it's only when I'm, when I'm near to God in Christ that I know my sins are forgiven. What a statement. He says this, I feel this love. I know I'm his child. And I enjoy the, the priceless blessings of peace. Here are these three blessings that he says. Of peace with God, and peace within, and peace with others. I'm aware of his love and I'm given joy that the world can neither give nor take away. The world can't give you a peace like that. And because we have it secure in the resurrected king, it can never be stripped away. I have peace within and peace with others. In other words, I can't hold a grudge against myself. Some of you in this room are so ridden with guilt for past mistakes, past sins, we have peace within through the sacrifice of Jesus. Some of you hold terrible grudges against other people. We cannot withhold forgiveness if we truly understand the great forgiveness that's been poured out on us. Let us draw near to God 
In other words, don't hold anything back from him. Come to him. He's there for you. God longs to hear from his children. And here's the truth of this statement. It's not, he doesn't need anything from us. God's fine. And so the implication of that, that he doesn't need anything from me, is that he wants to hear from me because of what? Because he loves me. God wants to hear from you because he loves you, not because he needs anything from you. What a pure love that is. I can, I can remember uh, back in my early 20s, I had been promoted with the company I was with, and I had to commute 90 miles each way. So I had a lot of time on the road, about an hour and a half each way. And when I was coming back, uh, my mom was still alive at this point. They had just invented these things called cell phones. They're amazing. And I shouldn't say just invented. They had become widespread at that point. And most every day when I would drive home on an hour and a half drive, I'd call my mom and I'd talk to her. They weren't incredibly deep conversations, but my mom just wanted to hear from me. She didn't need anything from me. We didn't have an agenda. We just loved each other and we wanted to talk to each other. God loves you in that way. He longs to hear from his children. Next one. Let us hold fast. It says, let us hold fast. And we're going to talk about hope in this section. Let us hold fast. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The word uh, hold fast here can also mean uh, to not be allowed to go away. Okay, Held. Held on to. Parents in the room, when your kids were smaller, you know, three, four, you go out into the parking lot, there's cars buzzing by, or maybe you're, you're down in the city and you need to cross the street to get to your favorite restaurant. What do you do with them, your kids? You hold them, right? Because if they're anything like my son, my son more so than my daughter, that dude is just on a mission to get run over by a car at every point in his life. And so as we came to streets, I would hold on to Jordan, okay? Or I'd hold his hand. We get this, this same picture. We're, we're held and we're holding. He would hold my hand back most of the time. It's both, we're holding fast, says to the confession of our hope. Okay, now let's break this word down a little bit. A, a confession, I believe, is synonymous with telling the truth. When I confess something, hopefully I'm telling the truth about it. In other words, we tell the truth when we make known our hope in Jesus. It says, for he who promised is faithful. Because ultimately, our faith is in him, but he's the one who's been faithful to us. He didn't have to save us. He, he didn't have to come and live perfectly in our place and die on the cross and raise from the dead. But he was faithful to save. And how do we know that he's faithful? This is the importance of the resurrection because he rose from the dead. 
when we shy away from that topic because, man, it seems really weird that a guy would raise from the dead, we do a disservice to Jesus and his work. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Why is that important? Because it's the proof that Jesus is who he said he is. He is God in the flesh. Only God can raise things to life. Therefore, we do not waver in the truth of Jesus. And we are, we're strengthened in the truth when we then now, tying this to being member-driven, when we come together and proclaim his goodness, his grace, in the gospel. We guide and, and we drive each other to do this, to hold fast to the truth. Revelation 12, 11 gives us a glimpse into the, in the bold holding of truth by our brothers and sisters who are persecuted because of their faith. Notice that it's plural. It says, and they. It says, and they have conquered him, the accuser. So Satan is the subject of this, the enemy of God. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, okay, by Jesus' victory. And it says this, and by the word of their testimony, okay, What's another way of saying testimony? Telling the truth. By the word of their truth, for they loved not their lives even unto death. That Christians for the last 2,000 years believe so strongly in the resurrected Jesus that they say, I'm willing to give my life for that truth. The earliest Christians who witnessed the resurrected king. They had nothing to gain by following Jesus. No material wealth, only scorn and shame. And they said, I have witnessed him with my eyes and I am willing to go to the grave for that. That's powerful. You see, at the cross, the enemies of God thought that they had victory. But Jesus did this. He snatched it away when he rose from the grave. And we do this, family, when we gather together, we declare that victory every time we come together. We look at darkness and we say, you lost. We hold fast to the truth, our confession of hope, our belief in the one who is faithful, the one who keeps his promises and, and this last section is, is where we've been headed. Our last point, let us stir up each other now. Let us stir up each other. We're going to talk about love. Notice we've seen faith, hope, and love in this section. There's another section of Scripture that teaches on that too. We won't get into that this morning. Verses 24 to 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love that the author includes, as is the habit of some. See, we have this romantic view of the early church as if they didn't deal with the same problems that we deal with. Uh, the author makes that clear, too, that they had issues with that as well. And so there's a lot going on in this, in this section. 
This is the culmination of this passage that, that we come together. Uh, the author of Hebrews is saying to come together to stir up each other to love and good works. To love each other and, and make this love known by meeting each other's needs through good works. Everyone's serving and loving each other. We see this statement so much in the, in the New Testament. It's this statement. One another. Do you notice that statement, statement a lot in the New Testament? We carry out, this is what we do when we gather together. We carry out the one another's of Scripture. Right? In order to stir up one another, it has to be more than me, doesn't it? It has to be another person with me. The idea of this word in this section, stir up, is to, to provoke or to motivate. I want to share a little story with you this morning to illustrate this. I love, personally, I love coaching kids. I've coached uh, baseball and soccer since my kids were very little. I love coaching kids that are, that are newer to, to a sport and seeing throughout the season their, their affection for the game and, and competition grow. I love when, I'm kind of an intense guy when it comes to sports. I love when the game gets intense. I love when, when Jordan was playing baseball and they transitioned over to that time where it wasn't really competitive to that first season of, of competitive baseball where the winning mattered a little bit more. There was a little bit more intensity in the game. The boys were starting to understand what it meant. I love that time when, when the kid comes comes up to bat. That's what this picture is. About the second year that my son Jordan was in the competitive league. That's not Jordan there. This kid's name is Stevie. We were playing the Dodgers, and this was a semifinal game to get into the championship game for our little league, you know, nine and ten-year-olds. Fun age. Dodgers had beaten the tar out of us all year long. But it was tied at this point. Stevie's coming up to bat. Stevie was a good ball player, but Stevie had the tendency, he was either going to strike out in a big way or he was going to punch one over the fence, right? So Stevie comes up to bat. He was about my sixth or seventh batter in the lineup, so he was pretty good, but you had him down there a little bit of ways because he was kind of a liability at the plate because he could strike out, which we didn't need at this point. We had a kid at second base. So if he hit one in the outfield, we were going to win. So Stevie comes up to bat, and you can kind of hear the parents going, oh, I'm not sure about this one. You know, all the guys say that, and the wives are like, his parents are right there. But, but the team and, and his coaches, you see his other coaches kind of standing off in the distance over there. The team and the ones, the coaches, the ones who, who've practiced and worked together, they've sweat, they've, they've shed a little bit of blood and pain. Maybe they've ribbed each other a little bit during the season, given each other a hard time, talked some smack. They all look on in anticipation at this moment. And what do they do when Stevie comes up to bat? They stir him up, don't they? Stevie, man, you got this. I was coaching third base, and I came down the line, and I leaned down, and I looked at Stevie in the eyes, and I said, dude, I believe in you. I think you can do this right now. He said, yeah, I know. 
What's beautiful is his mom uh, caught this picture. And uh, when she found out we were moving to Kentucky, she brought it to me, framed and handed it to me. It kind of makes me emotional. Sorry. I said, I believe in you, dude. Stir each other up, motivate each other. Provoke that person to carry out the task. What happened? Wouldn't you believe it? Stevie drilled a line drive between second and third base right through. That kid came around second and scored, and we won. (laughs) Beat the Dodgers. But you guys know how this plays out. Sometimes, sometimes they succeed, sometimes they don't. But the collective always lifts them back up. This is like the church. We always encourage and love and guide and stir up each other again towards that crucial moment. You got a brother or sister that's in some stuff and you lean down and you look at me. I think you got this, man. I think you got this. And whether they succeed in passing the test or they fall flat on their face, you put your hand up. If Stevie would have struck out there, his teammates would have stormed the gates and come out and said, dude, you did a good job. And we would have put our hands in and cheered for that other team. That's what the church is supposed to be like. Stirring and provoking each other, motivating each other. The author uh, here in this passage makes a key statement. He says this, he says this word, he says, not neglecting to meet together. He says, but encourage each other all the more as you see, says the day drawing near. Notice that that day is capitalized. We're member-driven. We're driven by those who have committed to this local expression of the body of Christ, joining and gathering together for worship. And then we do this. This is the importance of Sunday mornings of gathering together, is that this is like a launching pad. It's like a catapult. We're catapulted back out into the world. We come in, we're poured into, we're filled up, we worship our Lord, and then we go back out those doors and we shine the light of Christ in the world. And then we come back in and we do it again. join and gather together for worship and launch out into the world with love and works of service. And thinking back when I was a kid, I'd get with the boys in the neighborhood and, and you'd be playing and it was so much fun. And I can remember my mom would start hollering that it was dinner time, right? But there was still a little bit of sunlight out there. I don't want to waste that. I got my buddies out here. We're chopping it up, probably getting in some sort of trouble. And I remember this, I didn't want to go in because I didn't want to miss anything, right? I don't want to miss what's going to... There might be something that's going to happen when I leave. I don't want to miss it. You guys remember that feeling? If you leave for just a split second, you knew something was going to go down. Something fun was going to happen or someone was going to fall down and bust your face up, but I just wanted to see what was going to happen. Church, we should have the same anticipation and excitement for the gathering of God's people. I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss out on what God's going to do this coming Sunday. 
What if? I was reading this article. What if the Sunday that I miss is the day that revival breaks out? What if? What if the day that I miss is the time when I needed to hear that word, that my heart needed to hear that message, that the word of God was being proclaimed? What if? I can remember uh, my last church sitting in, uh, I would usually sit with Karen kind of towards the back row off to the side because I was a, a pastor there and so there was always something that would come up that I needed to fix or attend to so I would kind of sit in the back to not be a distraction if I had to leave. And there was a, a young lady in our church, I talked a little bit about her last week, she uh, is about 28, 29, has Down syndrome. Her name is Kayleen Alexander. I love Kayleen. Uh, every time I'd see Kayleen, at church, she would run up to me and say, Pastor Keith, and give me a big hug. Kayleen had a hard time with her speech. You kind of barely understand her. Her dad, Bill, is a really close friend of mine. He would kind of interpret for her if she'd get a real long sentence going and, and tell me what she was saying. I used to love to sit, come to the gathering. I'd sit in that back row, and I could look across diagonally, and the worship team would be playing. You know who was singing her heart out? Kayleen Alexander. She had her arms up. Every time I see that, I start crying. I got one of faith like that. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about that childlike faith. She didn't care who looked at her. She's worshiping Jesus. Right before I left, she was persistent. Every single time we did baptisms, she always wanted to get baptized, and her parents were hesitant because she couldn't get her head under the water. She couldn't hold her breath. So, man, we suited her up with a snorkel one Sunday. (laughs) Put her in that baptistry. She professed Jesus, and we got to baptize her. What if you missed that? What if you didn't get to see that? I don't want to miss out. A couple more things. The author notes here, I hit on this just a minute ago, that it should be, he says, all the more as the day is drawing near. What does he mean by that word day? What he's he's talking about when you see day capitalized, he's talking about that day when Christ returns. When Jesus returns in glory, and we know from his word that he returns in judgment. He's speaking about the end of all things, the culmination of history, the consummation of the kingdom of God. You see, here's the truth. Jesus promised this, and he backed it up by his resurrection. Hear this. Jesus is coming back. We don't know the day or the hour, but, but here's the reality. If we, if, we, if we look at time, the way time works, we're closer today than we were yesterday, aren't we? And this letter was probably written about 2,000 years ago. We're definitely closer now than they were then. He says, gather all the more as you see the day drawing near. How important is it that we come together and fellowship and worship Jesus and join and belong? Be joined to a local church. Be joined to his body. That we hold fast to the truth. That we place our faith, confidence, and trust in the promises of his word we do this, family, that we embrace the access that we have to God through 
Jesus, that we embrace the relationship that we have with Christ, that we know that the slate has been wiped clean by his blood. And so I want you to hear these words this morning. You belong here. You belong in this church. Christian, you belong here because Christ bought you with his blood. He's your brother. You are a son or daughter of God. You belong here. But I also extend this to those of you in the room who are skeptical. You would maybe call yourselves even like, I don't know, I don't believe. I don't know if I get all this stuff. You belong here too. Because through faith in the work of Christ, you can be reconciled to God. You only have to believe. You don't have to clean yourself up. God's Spirit will do that work. You just have to believe in Him. Believe in His promises. You belong here. Hear this, you belong here, young and old. We're not a church that's just for young people or a church that's just for old people, whatever that means, or a church that's just for middle-aged people. We're a church for all people. Young and old, you belong here. Rich and poor, you belong here. (laughs) Ex-convict and squeaky clean member of society, you belong here. Because here's the reality of the church. The ministry of Jesus brings together people even when it makes no sense at all. That we're brothers and sisters through him. Sometimes it makes no sense that I'm friends with this person, but it's only because of Jesus. 